The scripture reading for today is Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 25. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Thank you, Christy, for reading our scripture this morning. And you can turn there in your Bible if you have one in front of you. And that text is also on our bulletin page on our website, Matthew chapter 4. Well, author Christopher Hewitt tells the story of a Jesuit priest named Father Gillick who visited a local elementary school. After sharing with a group of students, a young girl in third or fourth grade approached him and struck up a conversation. A few moments into their discussion, a look of pure astonishment flashed across the girl's face. And suddenly she blurted out, you're blind, which was true. Due to a sickness, as a young boy, Father Gillick had lost his sight. He'd become blind. With tenderness, he responded, well, that's not news to me. But before he could say anything else, she quickly moved from shock to sadness and said, you don't know what you look like. That profound statement from such a young person caught him a little off guard. Before he could comment anymore, she softly said, you're beautiful. There's so much truth in those words. From the beauty and the innocence of a child's heart, Part of the effects of sin and living in a fallen world is that our vision is affected, it's distorted. If not totally blinded spiritually, our spiritual vision is distorted. We tend not to see ourselves. We tend not to see others as God sees us. 
We tend not to see the image of God in us. We tend not to see the immeasurable worth of every human life. Thankfully, in his grace, Jesus came not to condemn us for our spiritual blindness, but to heal our sight. We continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew. We pick up the story right after Jesus has been baptized. He has overcome the temptations of the enemy in the wilderness, and now he's ready to step into public ministry. And in our study, we've been seeing how the Gospel of Matthew invites us to live out our kingdom identity through the teaching and the miracles and the example of Jesus. And this morning, we celebrate the sanctity of human life. In our text, we'll see three ways that Jesus demonstrated the worth of every human life and how we can follow him and value life as he does. But let's pray together as we turn to God's word. Our Father, with the words we just sang together, we ask you to speak. We come in dependence as we do every week, as we do every moment. And as we were reminded last week, that we do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from you. And so we come in dependence and submission and worship with open hearts this morning. So do your work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not there already, Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Let's look at this again briefly. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. There's that key word in Matthew again, fulfilled. Verse 15, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali and the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So Matthew here covers Jesus' strategic uh, movement into Capernaum. He sees it as he so often does. Just about everything Jesus does, Matthew sees as a fulfillment of Scripture. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 9, which we heard that text this morning in the call to worship, which ultimately points to Messiah bringing light to these places mentioned and ultimately to the Gentiles. There would have been a mixed population in these, uh, in Galilee in particular. And so ultimately, this light coming to all people, not just the Jews. But look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So from that time is a transition phrase. You see that a few times throughout the book of Matthew. Jesus begins now his public ministry. We've transitioned, right? Jesus was identified Uh, With his people in baptism, he overcame the temptations that his people failed to overcome, and now he steps into public ministry, preaching the same message first preached by John, the baptizer, right? The very same message that Jesus will, later in Matthew, call his disciples to preach. This message of repentance and light of the kingdom. Like the Old Testament prophets, calling people to return to God. This is a very same message. But now there's a new urgency, Because Messiah himself is here. He's on the scene. And with him the kingdom has arrived. There's of course an ultimate future day when the kingdom will come in fullness at the return of Christ. But at this first arrival of Jesus, in a very real sense, he inaugurated God's rule on earth as it is in heaven. 
we could rephrase this message of repentance as something like turn from sin and submit to God's reign. It's human nature to react against anything, a message anything like that, isn't it? You're going the wrong way. Turn around. In our day, this is totally offensive, isn't it? When people are applauded for only going their own way, choosing their own identity, determining their own truth. How dare someone tell me I need to repent? In our pride, we march right to our own destruction. Our state of Texas is known for a lot of things, a lot of great things. Something we should not be too proud of, though, is that we lead the nation in wrong way driving deaths. Have you heard that? Wrong way driving deaths. Dallas, among cities, ranks some of the highest, too, for most drivers killed while driving the wrong way on the freeway. The North Texas Tollway Authority even has its own wrong way driver task force. Look it up. They've been put together to try to do something about this. It's horrible. If you see someone driving the wrong way on the freeway, you wouldn't hesitate, right? You'd honk your horn. You'd call 911, probably after swerving out of the way yourself. You'd do whatever you had to do. Get their attention. Turn around. You're going the wrong way. You wouldn't just watch them go by and say, huh, to each his own, right? You do you, man. Now, that's not loving, right? You do whatever you'd have to do to get their attention, to save their life. How much more true is that? In the grand scheme of things, when Jesus, the Son of God, or his followers tell people, repent, you're going the wrong way, turn around, find life instead of death. And so let's not miss the first way in our text that we see Jesus elevate the value of human life, and that is by calling us to repentance. Because repentance is for our greatest good. Paul says in Romans 2 that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. His kindness. Created in God's image, our greatest good is in God's presence. Our greatest good is his will for our lives. And so when we turn from God, when we go our own way, we go against God's good intentions. We go against our own good And you have enough value to God that he doesn't want to let you go your own way. He doesn't force you, but he's done everything in his power to steer you back the right direction. To steer you back toward the way of life in him. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you may react strongly to these words, this message of repentance. Stop, turn around, you're going the wrong way. You need to see this call to repentance for what it is, not words of Judgment, but kindness, an invitation to find life in Christ. Because repentance is always for our greatest good, and the same is true as believers. As believers, we may feel like we've messed up. We cannot make God stop loving us. No matter how many times we in our rebellion, whether it's outright rebellion against God, turning away from him, or just the little decisions that we make throughout the day, These words of Jesus find us again and again and again. Repent. These words of Jesus are an invitation to come back to him and find life and mercy and love. Now look at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me. 
and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. The invitation here is to follow Jesus as the disciple, much like a respected Jewish rabbi would attract students to follow them around and to learn from them, just to soak in their teaching. And with both pairs of men here, they immediately leave everything behind to follow Jesus. I'm always amazed when I come to this passage in Scripture and then the parallel accounts in the other Gospels. They immediately left everything and followed Jesus. This shows that to some degree they understood what was happening. They understood his authority to summon them. But also they knew there was no greater privilege than to follow Jesus, to be his disciple. There was no reconciling calendars to make sure they could fit Jesus in. In that moment, Jesus became their sole ambition. He became their priority and focus. Even their families and livelihoods took their rightful place under the priority of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, Jesus invites all of us to follow him as disciples. And so that's the second way in this passage this morning that Jesus shows us the value and worth of every human life. Because he invites us to find our created purpose as his disciples. Again, our culture and our individualism fights against this call, right? It feels like we're being called to give up ourselves, being called to give up our own passions, but we have it backwards. To reject Christ, to go the world's way, is to fall into conformity. Because in Christ, as his disciples, those blinders begin to fall away and we begin to have our sight restored. We begin to really see ourselves. We begin to really see who God created us to be, our passions and our calling and our purpose. So to follow Jesus Christ is not to lose yourself. It's actually to find yourself. It's to become your truest self with all the unique gifts and perspectives that you bring. To reflect the beauty of God in an unrepeatable way in our world to those around you. Let's remember God doesn't need us to accomplish his plan, but he loves us enough to invite us into what he's doing, making us part of that as followers of Jesus, as disciples. It's there we find our created purpose, and it's there we invite other people to find theirs. Because Jesus wasn't just calling them or us to a passive following, just listening, just soaking up doctrine and truth, absorbing it but gaining this to then point other people to Christ. As Jesus told them, he intended to make them fishers of people. We're flawed people. We're flawed men and women, aren't we? And yet that doesn't diminish our worth to God. Jesus gave his life for us to save us from sin and death, which, by the way, that's the final word on how God views us. That's the final word on how much God values and loves every one of us, is giving the life of Jesus for us. And we're so loved by God to have the privilege to share that with others, to let people know that despite the world and what the world tells them, you don't have value or you have to earn all your value. God says, no, you have incredible, immeasurable value to me, God says. You're created in my image. My son gave his life for you and now calls you to himself. Look at verse 23. 
And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. This is another one of Matthew's summary statements of Jesus' ministry. He encapsulates here so much of what we're going to see in the coming chapters. Jesus teaching, Jesus proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and so much healing. Matthew shows us the scope of his healing in particular. Look at all these words here. Verse 23, every disease, every affliction. Verse 24, they brought him all the sick, and he healed them. Every single person, we're told there were these huge crowds coming to Jesus. Every person who came to Jesus, we're told from Matthew here, was healed. Every kind of affliction, verse 24 gives us a few examples. Those afflicted with diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, paralytics. These are just a few examples. Matthew includes here demon possession. Some modern critics of the Bible like to say, this is just a pre-scientific explanation. These ignorant ancients, they just saw maybe physical or mental disorders that we would see today, and they said, oh, that's the work of demons. Look what Matthew does here. He lists this as a separate category. This is an ignorant pre-scientific diagnosis. This is clear to Jesus and his disciples. Some ailments are physical and mental, and some are spiritual. Jesus cares here about the whole person, body and soul. He healed all who came to him, regardless of who they were. And that's the third way we see Jesus show the value of human life in this text. He healed all, not just those who were maybe deemed worthy, those who were respectable, or those who even did anything for him in return. We see in other passages where some, many who were healed didn't even say thank you. That didn't stop Jesus from healing them. He didn't have them fill out a survey first saying, just how sinful are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Remember we saw last week our sin and our behavior doesn't determine our identity, nor does it determine our worth to God. We don't have to get our act together before coming to Jesus. He invites us to come as we are. Just as he was moved with compassion again and again on the crowds that came to him, he has compassion on us. It's the same Jesus ready to offer grace and mercy to us. But how easy is it in our human nature to think Jesus might turn our back on us maybe when we make one too many mistakes, right? He might get tired of forgiving us. Oh, here he comes again, right? I love the way Dane Ortland describes this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, we often project onto Jesus our skewed instincts of, about how the world works. Since Jesus is high and holy, we tend to think he approaches us only reluctantly, like holding his nose. Christ does not cringe, he writes, at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numbed sufferers. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do. He cannot bear to hold back. This is the Jesus we see in our text. The one who can't bear to hold back, showing mercy and compassion. 
When the Holy Spirit enables us to see Christ clearly, we then begin to see ourselves clearly, and then we can see others clearly in the same light. And as believers, we want to respond to his work in us by reaching out like he did, by having compassion and showing mercy to all who God puts in our path. Not deciding who deserves it, but seeing everyone around us as created in God's image. Everyone around us as one who Jesus gave his life for. Choosing to be an instrument of that love, to be his hands and feet here and now. And that includes that impossible person in your life. Maybe that coworker that just always seems to get in your way and make your life more difficult. It includes those who see the world very differently than you do, who vote very differently than you do. Our identity in Christ is so secure that we have his provision. We are equipped in Christ to love freely, without condition, without taking it personally when someone throws it back in our face. Think about who you struggle to love. Maybe the specific person comes to mind. Maybe it's a type of person that you tend to overlook. The materially poor, the orphan, widow, the refugee, the unborn, the marginalized, the incarcerated, and on and on and on. May God give us eyes to see clearly, to see people as God sees them, to see everyone as unique, irreplaceable, and loved by God. And then to get involved in people's lives, to give of our time and our resources and unique gifts to serve for human flourishing in the gospel. That's the right response. That's a natural outflow of being called to follow Jesus as a disciple, just as it was for the fishermen in our passage. Well, a few chapters later in Matthew 8, a leper comes to Jesus. In the ancient world, a leper was a symbol of one cast out, one society completely rejected. Practically speaking, they had no worth. Now they're only seen as a danger to others, forced to keep a distance. But this leper comes to Jesus and he kneels before him and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, if there was ever a time for Jesus to reflect the value systems of our world, it would be right here. If there was ever a time for him to say, not now, man, I have more important things to do. Or at the very most to say, all right, but let's make it quick. You know what? Why don't you stay way over there and I'll heal you from a distance. What does Jesus do? Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. He didn't have to do that. He stretched out his hand and touched this man and he said, I will be clean. And he healed him. This is how Jesus looks at us. There's no hesitation when we approach him. There's no holding back. There's no annoyance. There's only love. We need to let God heal our sight, to see ourselves and to see others as he sees us, not to give in to the messages and these value systems that the world gives us. Because when God looks at us in Christ, he says, you are made in my image. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. That is your identity. That is who you are in Jesus Christ. This is the God who loves us enough to not let us go our own way, to call us to repentance, who calls us again and again back to himself for our good. This is the Savior who invites us to find our purpose in following him, to find our truest self, 
The Savior who shows us what it looks like to love everyone around him without condition or limit. Brothers and sisters, in the provision of Christ, may we do likewise. Would you pray with me? Our Father, how easily our spiritual vision is distorted by sin. How easily we are taken off track by the value systems in the world. So easy to lose sight of the immeasurable worth of every human life. The love you have for all people. Father, in Christ, restore, strengthen our sight to see ourselves rightly as your people, totally undeserving in ourselves, and yet recipients of your grace and mercy now and forever. So help us to live more and more into our secure identity in Christ as members of his kingdom. Help us to be your hands and feet to serve for human flourishing and the good news of Christ. It's for his glory. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.